2: everybody we have a shorter song so it's only 502 and uh it's wednesday california time april 17 2019 and a funny thing happened to me six years ago today i thought it was six years ago sunday <laughs> i celebrated a couple of days early something that uh, hadn't quite happened yet but that's what happens when you know things are going to happen uh, They do. That song that we opened the show with is called uh, Guilty Man, and it was a song that was written by some friends of mine up in Oregon while I was locked up in the Twin Towers for the, I don't know, second or third time. And it's a story about a guy who grew some plants to help some people and got accused and um, stood and fought. And then in the end, he was found to be innocent. And, of course, this story was my story. But at the same time, you know, when it was going on, I always said, and I say today, it wasn't about my story. It was about what what, it, what good comes of it. What are we doing with these cases that, that we stand up and fight? What comes out of it? What changes are we making? And... On April 17, 2014, I walked into court for the, I don't know, 200 and some time, over six years, and I expected uh, to set a date for my new trial. Uh, The judge was not particularly friendly. He was uh, willing to toss me in jail, um just before Christmas the year prior to that, because my bail uh, company had decided because the bail was so high and they could get extra money that they were going to renew uh, my bond. So for those of you who don't understand bail, um, when you get given bail, you have two choices. Well, there could be third choice. There could be a property bond, theoretically. But um, generally you have two choices. One, is you pay the amount of bail Now if you do So if you have a small bail And you have some money socked away Say your bail is $10,000 And you put $10,000 down What that is Is it's a it's a, payment That secures your being out That says well As long as that $10,000 is in our hands You're going to show up to court Because you don't want to lose it And then when your case is over You would get that $10,000 back But most of us don't have $10,000 sitting around and in my case, I had $250,000 bail because I was a dangerous man, and I was accused of selling plants to sick people. And we can't have that in our society. So I was given a bail that was um, higher than some people's attempted murder bails and rape bails and breaking and entering bails and all that kind of thing. So um, most people end up going to a bond company. And what happens there is you have to pay a percentage of that bond, and then the bail company puts up the rest. And generally, it's around 10%, or if you know somebody, it might be less. Um, so if you had a $100,000 bond, then you would have to come up with $10,000. If you had a $10,000 bond, you'd have to come up with $1,000, that sort of thing. So in that case, your money's forfeit. You don't get it because the bond company put up, the whole bail, you just put up a little bit that's how bond companies make their money, so in my case of course I had a $250,000 bond and had no money, so we were able to, uh, you know, because of Kathy Z putting up her retirement and the first time uh, Laura and Kathy put together their their savings and their money and got me out and then the third time um, Patricia Pepper's mom put up the money all those three times, that money was never returned. So that's a whole another scandal that goes on in, in American court systems. And I think uh, we just passed something in California, and I don't know if it actually passed or if it's still in the works, but they're they're changing the bail rules. And the other side of it is, is they, they do what they call a 1275 hold. And what that says is that... Um, you even if you had that money, you don't get to necessarily just put it up because it might be illegal money. It might be drug money. So they will force you to prove where that money came from before you can post it as a bond. Well, all of those things happened and uh, so I walked in to court on April 17, 2014 on what we call a trial readiness conference. So if you've ever been to court, if you've ever had a trial yourself, you'd know that you'll go through a series of different elements. You got pre-trial, you got arraignments, you got motion hearings, you got all these different reasons you go to court. And then finally you have what they call a trial readiness conference. And that says, you show up at court and say, all right, both sides are ready to go to trial. And then they set a trial date. So. Um, It was my understanding that that's what was going to happen I showed up to court Um, Like I said, I think I counted it was over I think 200 times Total that I ended up going to court for these cases And I showed up and there wasn't very many people Because you learn over time that you don't necessarily call for court support For every hearing when you have 200 of them um, You can't expect people to be able to attend that many because you got to take time off work. It costs you to go to court. Um, well, your opponents get paid; you have to pay. A little bit lopsided, as you might understand, um, and hard to get people to take time off of their busy days, especially to go to a place like court. Um, but we did it, and we we had a lot of people over the years that would attend. But what we finally did was we said, well we'll let you know when it's an important day to come. So when I was locked up and I had a, a hearing and they bust me from the Twin Towers over to the court, we tried to have as many people there as we could so that, the bus, so that the court could see, you know. And it was powerful. I mean, it made a difference when I was, you know, driving the court in shackles and in the cage inside that caged bus because I was so damn dangerous. And I saw all those people standing out there holding signs And I smiled and said, them's for me. (laughs) And and, uh, everybody looked at her. You know, it made a difference. The guards recognized it. The court recognized it. And I think ultimately it definitely had an impact on the outcome. So we showed up on this day, and we answered ready. And then the prosecutor walks up to the judge and says, Your Honor, uh, prosecution is, or the state has decided Uh, to dismiss this case because uh, we had just had ruled in our favor from the appellate court on the previous trial. And it had been now several years. I mean, it had now been four years since I was uh, originally charged. And the expense, they'd spent over $4 million on my case already. And they just determined that it wasn't worth pursuing after all of that. All that hubbub and all of that creep and all of that destruction and devastation to my life, yeah, we're good. We're just going to let it go. So I walked out of there, and of course, in a quite celebratory way, and the day I was at the Kern River sitting on a river fishing. But that wasn't the end. And for anybody who has ever faced a case and knows anything about the system, you realize there's more, more than one kind of court. There's state courts and local courts and family courts and probate courts and federal courts. Well, as you know, federal law is much different than state law. and um, Federal law doesn't have any place where you can legally have 3,000 plants, as I was accused of. in fact, federal law would say that if you were found to have 3,000 plants, you would be facing a mandatory 10 years in prison. And the federal government, as it turns out, has a five-year statute of limitations. So once the state drops the case, the feds still have five years in which to file these same charges on you. Or maybe they make a different case. But they've got five years. Well, if you take... April 17, 2014, and you fast forward to April 17, 2019, you'll have a span of five years. And although I celebrated this on Sunday because I, for whatever reason, forgot and thought it was on the 14th, I reviewed my notes and discovered that it was actually the 17th. And today is the day I can say officially fuck the Fed, I cannot be charged for those crimes. If you want to charge me for some, You've got to build a whole new case. Um, I see noncompliant Mary is on the line. Mary, if you're on the line, please, can you screen these calls up? Um, I'm not sure who I got, and I believe, I think I recognize my guest, Yvonne. So um, if it's possible to jump over there and uh, screen these folks. Otherwise, I'm going to guess, and I think I know who it is. Um, But I want to bring up one other story, and this is a story that came up. I'm going to be going to... um, Washington D.C. in about a month, month and a bit, to go talk to the FDA about CBD, and you know it's just a piece of the puzzle, of course, and and the FDA is looking to regulate CBD and, and and to be, you know, very careful about how we allow these substances into our food supply and all of these things, and the thing that isn't been mentioned is that as far as we know today, there's no known lethal dose of CBD or THC for that matter. Um, you can eat cannabis oil until it puts you to sleep and makes you throw up, but it won't kill you. And the FDA is the, the gold standard by which, um, the money people rely on, and if you're not FDA approved, then
0: it's not medicine.
2: You can't call it medicine. You can't claim it's medicine. You can't talk about anything it does for you. I mean, it's a really, and I can understand on one side of it why that would be, but we look at the FDA and doctors. You know, you have you ever had a relationship with a doctor? I had a dad who was a doctor so. I grew up with a lot of doctors in my life, and I know how so many of them are, and of course it's a broad brush to say that they're all like that, but um, ask a doctor, they'll tell you, you know, they're fucking gods, you know. They think that their shit doesn't stink and that anything that they say is is true because they've said it no matter what. And how dare you think or challenge anything that they uh, say or do or anything like that And at the same time They're a bunch of pussies And I can understand why Because they spent so much time and money Getting that that medical license And I'm not that I don't respect them I've never got a medical license And I have been around a lot of people that have And I know that it's quite a feat To do it And I absolutely applaud their Abilities and, and you have to be pretty smart And you have to be pretty focused, and you have to be pretty committed to being a doctor. So I absolutely respect medical professionals. However, that doesn't mean that they're the only ones who know anything, and it doesn't mean that everything that they think is correct is. And I think that if we were honest with ourselves, and I think if we were honest with the community, we might have set some other kind of standard for what, is okay and what's not. And one of the things that I think we might want to consider would be a thing called relative safety. You know, what about the, the safety of something? What what about that? And why doesn't that count? Why doesn't it matter how safe something is? And it's supposed to because you do all these trials and you do all these studies and and you do all these things in order to prove the safety of something. But you've seen the commercials, you've read the uh, uh, the advertisements, you've listened to the stories. You've probably experienced some of the side effects of of so-called safe medications. You know, um, we got two Dee's up here. I think one of them's probably not Didi. And by the way, Didi, I love you. <laughs> Anyways. If you look at at just about any pharmaceutical drug, you're going to see uh, possible side effects such as, you know, seizures and skin lesions and and impotency and, um, you know, um, oily diarrhea and um, death, (laughs) you know, a a, uh, side effect of antidepressants is that you might – feel like killing yourself. Very common ones. And, and the FDA is totally cool with that. And then you come to CBD and THC for that matter, and there's still yet to be a single case of death associated directly because of the consumption of THC or CBD. Ah, oh, it is. I was right. All right. So anyways, the point is, I'm going to be able. Or I'm going to go to Washington D.C. to try to talk to these people,
0: and I'm looking for some
2: help. Um, you know, I really want to prepare my statement, and um, I'm looking for points of view, um, points to make, um, resources to cite. Not doesn't mean send me a bunch of articles. I will not even look at them if you do that. But if you send me some bullet points. Um, and the resources that you took the time to study and connect to those points, I'll definitely bring that to bear. Anyways, this came up on the news today, and I want to bring that up before we bring our guest up. Here we go. The Justice Department announced Wednesday that 60 people across five states, including more than 30 physicians, were charged in connection with millions of illegal prescription opiates in a takedown by its Appalachian Regional Prescription Opiate Strike Force. 60 medical professions were arrested today for scheming and prescribing. One example they cited was there was a dentist that would actually pull out a tooth that you didn't need pulled out so that he could write you an opiate script. And that's, I can't make this stuff up, folks. Now, this is okay because these are doctors. And these these opiates are FDA-approved. And how dare you question a doctor. But this is what's happening. This is what has happened. And this is what will continue to happen all the way up until the day when we finally say enough's enough. Prohibition needs to end. Let's just end it. Why don't we call a safe substance a safe substance and find some way to treat it that way? And why don't we Relook at some of our prescriptions. I would say we should be a little more scrupulous about prescriptions that we allow on the market. I have a friend of mine who came over today, a dear friend of mine, known him for 20, almost 25 years, and he's deformed. He has missing a, a half of a leg. Uh, he's missing fingers, parts of fingers. His mom, um, when she was pregnant with him, was given a drug called thalidomide. And it was very NFTA-approved drug. Turned out it mutated all kinds of people. And then they realized, oops, <laughs> I guess we should have studied that one a little bit. Well, we have over 10,000 years of study of the cannabis plant, and there's not a single recorded death directly connected to it. And I just can't. I can't think of, and I haven't had anybody ever come up to me with a viable reason why. And yet we just sit there and we bow to these motherfuckers. We bow to them and we tell them, okay, we better just tax and regulate ourselves so you get a bunch of money and the people who are really broke and need the medicine can't have it because that's what we keep doing. I got one more point before we bring Yvonne up, but Yvonne, you're going to get as much of the show as you need after this. Um, And we'll have plenty of time to talk, that's what I have to say. Um, Another good friend of mine, yesterday, over the weekend, Saturday, came up to me. And he's a supporter of the Human Solution. But not everybody gets it. Not everybody gets it. And he told me how he was working with one of the legal cannabis dispensary groups. And it was his job to make sure that the illegal shops were being reported to the BCC, the Bureau of Cannabis uh. Control. And I said, what? You're, you're a rat? And starts telling me about how dangerous oh. these illegal shops are. And I just want to point this out. I get it. I get your moralistic point, and I get the best-case scenario of this all. I really do. In the best-case scenario, nothing would have poison on it. Neither with the food you eat, neither with the playgrounds your kids play on, and, and neither with the air you breathe. And I get it. I totally get it. But how dare you stand on your high horse when for the past 30, 40 years we didn't have any testing. Nobody knew. They were spraying paraquat over the Mexican pot. I remember those days. And did we quarantine it and throw it away? No, we smoked it. And you might have had a topped up a lung a couple of times, but didn't stop anybody, and still to this day nobody died from it. And I had somebody cite me a case. Well, you knew somebody who died from moldy pot. Really? I'll bet you if I looked at that medical record, there might have been moldy pot as one of the reasons for this death but I guarantee you there was more going on than that and we have been ingesting pesticides, what do you think the cancer rates are so damn high right now we're not going after the pesticides we're going after the people who didn't follow those little rules and pay all those exorbitant fees and taxes and ultimately it boils down to competition those people that did don't want those people that didn't to have a seat at the table. And I asked him, I said, so what about people on fixed income that need oil? Oh, well, uh, he didn't have an answer for that. So is it okay for a few people to make illegal oil for those people? Uh, 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 didn't have an answer. All right, Yvonne, sorry, we're going to have to go to Craig Cecil, but we're still going to give you all the time you need, Craig Calling from federal I prison,
1: and he always we'll gets his 15 minutes. This call. Right. this call
2: is from. I right. guarantee you right. will get the rest of the show.
1: Made it a federal prison. This call is being recorded and subject to monitoring. Hang up to
2: the Craig Cecil, how are you doing today?
1: Hello, Joe. I'm looking out the window, and it sure looks emblematic of a federal prison. Oh, geez. I see a big overhead light with this turned on. Beyond that, it's two fences with a whole lot of razor wire on the top and a guard tower. But believe it or not, there's no guard in the guard tower. There's a mannequin. To the what? There's still a guard tower out
2: there. They put a mannequin up in the guard tower?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. For some reason, they, they didn't want to take guards to sit in the towers anymore. So they put mannequins you know,
2: in there. Wow, them. wow. That's crazy. Nobody nobody catches on that they just don't ever move.
1: <laughs> actually, they get out in uh, California. One of the one of the uh, inmates actually crawled over the fence right next to the tower and escaped.
2: <laughs> well, good for him. <laughs> That's all I could say. So, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing as well as can be expected. Uh, here in Indiana, I think we're finally getting into getting into the swing of spring. Granted, there's some rain, but uh, today we topped to uh, 70 degrees. Tomorrow will be in the low 60s, but we're we're starting to get away from that winter weather and starting to enjoy the outside again. Nice.
2: So you're going to be uh, involved in the softball team again this year?
1: Yes. Yes. The field's all set up. We had practices out today. We're going to have pick-up games this weekend, and I'm working on putting all the teams and the schedules together this weekend. So, Commissioner, and it looks like it's going to be. I'd have to think anyway.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, it's a it's the weirdest thing. Oh, there we go. We're we're back together. It's it's the weirdest thing. Um, you know, there's all these cases. And the federal government picks and chooses. I mean, in, in Colorado, they just busted a bunch of people. But you know, today the feds just busted just busted sixty doctors for uh, a conspiracy to uh, write prescriptions for um, opiates. Um, to to they had this whole crazy scheme, and I don't think they were all connected in this, but. They they busted 60 doctors across sort of the Appalachian areas. And they had one, this one dentist who was actually pulling people's teeth out so that he could write them a script for opiates, even though those teeth did not need to be pulled out.
1: I mean, you have to
3: think what kind of
1: person would do that. I mean, is it green that drives them to drive of that or? You know, and and I I heard
2: about that story that involved something like three hundred thousand prescriptions. Yeah. I mean, no wonder that you know that red flags went up. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, it's 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 just money. You know, and the thing of it is, is they've got these doctors who, of course, you know, if you've ever known a doctor, they're they're gods in their own right, just like judges. And you know, the FDA is the is is the the. You know, the Lord of all, and yet these are deadly compounds, and these doctors, it wasn't just a couple of doctors, it was a whole ton of them. And nurses and and, uh, all kinds of uh, medical practitioners, people that, you know, you're supposed to respect and rely on for, uh, you know, sound medical advice. And yet cannabis, to this date, has never claimed a life, not a single one. And all the hubbub, and, you know, I'm going out to uh, uh, Washington, D.C. on the 31st of May to go talk to the FDA about, uh, you know, the regulations they want to put up on CBDs, and I'm hoping to at least get an opportunity to talk some sense to them. So, you know, we're just, it's it's a a gigantic conundrum going on out there, a paradox.
1: And it doesn't make any sense because, it, as you point out, opioids that those doctors were involved with. I mean, we've all seen the numbers in the news of how many people die per day, per hour. I mean, it, it's, it's a sickness that's, you know, just hard to fathom. Well,
0: yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, you know, you think about a heroin junkie as kind of the most uh, horrible you know, lowest form of human when it comes down to it. You know, you think about the the guy laying in the street just, you know, passed out in his own spit and and uh, you know, just completely out of it, right? And yet that's what we're talking about. These are the same the same kind of drugs that these doctors are just haphazardly, randomly, you know, writing to whoever can pay for them. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to Hard to fathom, but then again, they, they point to the likes of uh, you know, El Chapo and you know the famous drug dealers to say you know, look how many people died as a result of taking you know cocaine and whatever else they traffic. Oh, and yeah. heroin.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, and and that's exactly the case. It's it's. I wonder, you know, if we were ever to really get the stats on how many people have died from legal drugs. Uh, both in overdoses, um, in, in misdiagnosis, in, in, you know, allergic reactions, whatever. I, if, if we could get a real number on how many people have died, you know, since since medicine had been regulated and, and um, you know, controlled by the government.
1: And, and our government still has uh, such misdirected drug policies. I just got pulled up a couple of days ago by one of the lieutenants in the corridor. Went, Let's call from a federal prison. And the lieutenant pointed out that El Chapo is probably going to get the same sentence as me so we can be cellies together. Oh, what a nice guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, I
1: mean, you know, how can you compare what, what I'm convicted of and what he's convicted of that if there's something wrong with the law that gives us both the same sentence? Oh, absolutely. I
2: mean, in, in his case... A combination of violent crimes and, and drugs. It's probably the drugs that are getting him the uh the higher sentence, not the violent crimes.
1: That's unfortunately true. distributing drugs resulting in death is the actual charge on some of them Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean the
2: actual the people that he killed and in order to be killed, those aren't the ones that are gonna get him the life sentence. Right,
1: right. Now, another piece of news came out yesterday when Attorney General Barr announced that uh, they're not going to offer bail to quite so many of the uh, uh, asylum seekers along the southern border. And uh, in the same vein, he said that, you know, he's looking for a whole lot more, you know, bets to store all these people in. Well, then the rumor started right now the uh, Bureau of Prisons, the prisons are only about 80 percent full. So there's been a whole bunch of rumors all over the place that maybe they're gonna, you know, convert a bunch of federal prisons into, uh, you know, uh, immigration uh, detention
2: uh, facilities. It wouldn't surprise me. They were talking about dumping them into all the sanctuary cities too. You know, it's a it's a it's a crazy, crazy world we're living in. That's for sure.
1: I do understand that, you know, a lot of people are in bad situations in other countries and all that. But uh, unfortunately, we we can't just have open arms as a country saying we're going to make all our people take care of you. And I mean, a lot of these people, because, you know, my husband beat me and my neighborhood was bad for my kids and all that, you know. you got to wonder how many of them, why didn't you fight to save your neighborhood?
3: You know, why don't we, you know, take on a policy that help those people. Fix
1: your own
2: neighborhoods Well and, and that you know Starts walking into some, some waters That are you get into people's Feelings rather than you know Facts a lot of times and It's it, it, it's a difficult conversation When somebody's feelings are involved um, You know if you were To actually look at facts about immigration Policies and, and look at Other countries in the world and look at ours uh, You know we have some of the most Lenient policies in the whole world And we always have but There's been reasons for it in the past. There was times in our nation's history where we needed a lot of people. We didn't have enough people to do the jobs we needed done. And there's been times in our history where we had enough people. We didn't need more people. So, you know, for for a country to have the sovereignty to make its own policies as it sees fit is kind of part of the sovereignty of a country, isn't it? It
1: is, it is. I mean, we need immigrants, I mean. We need the right immigrants, people that are going to come here and assimilate, and they really want to be Americans rather than just escape from where they're at. We want people that want to come here to be Americans. And, I mean, of course they're welcome. I mean, we we do have room for plenty more people, but they've got to come here to, you know, to to take care of themselves and, you know, to be uh, productive Americans.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. We kind of veered off of a course, but why not stick with it for a minute? Um, Some of the people that I've found that get the most angry about immigration problems are the people who are immigrants. Sorry, that's my dog's going crazy out there. They, uh, they end up liking to, I don't know, start a, a, an orchestra. Anyways, some of the people that I've come upon in my life that have been the most upset about immigration policies are those immigrants that came over here and did it legally. And, you know, these are people that are upset at people from their own country because they went through all this trouble and all this hassle and they respected the, the the idea of U.S. citizenship to the point where, you know, they became one. And then they see all these other folks that are basically just taking the same rights without having to do anything for them. And and I've had all kinds of immigrants, not just Mexican immigrants, but from many other countries that, uh, you know, frankly feel very strongly about it as well.
1: I I agree I agree it's, it's you know really an uphill fight because like you say on one hand we need immigrants but on the other hand we need the right immigrants and how do you how do you separate those <laughs> two
2: Well it would take an effort and some common sense which might be uh, part of the problem but those things are kind of hard to. Hard to come by in this place. Well, there's your first speech, Craig. I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor to to, to finish your thoughts.
1: Well, as you know, uh, our Congress hasn't been real productive here lately in terms of getting a lot of legislation passed and really moving forward on, you know, immigration and health care and all that. But let's get them to look at drugs. Let's get them to look at, you know, how are we treating marijuana? Why am I getting... <laughs> consent down couple. Why do our laws do that? Why do we put so many people in prison for uh, drug offenses for sentences three to four times as long as people are in prison for violent crimes? Let's, let's redirect our criminal justice system to really protect people from harm rather than harming people by putting in, you know, uh, people that, you know, deal with marijuana or that in the prison and, and never hurt anybody. Okay.
2: I couldn't agree with you more and well there you go, fifteen minutes. Well the good news is is at least uh you know, if you don't know, Craig is uh the commissioner of his softball league and uh once a year or at least, you know, as of last year, he gets a little bit of a respite, he gets to he gets to have uh something outside of the, the nightmare of prison um to deal with, so um, it's good that he's got at least something to keep his mind you know off of the nightmare that might be if you were to consider what it would be like to have a life sentence in federal prison for pot and I'm going to make one final point before I turn it over to Yvonne. I've been looking forward to uh, continuing our conversation, and it's this. I've been allegedly involved in, in cannabis cultivation and, and production of medicines and, and wheeling and dealing and this and that and all these things that were 100% illegal back in the 80s when, they, when I began or allegedly and has run through various different courses and cases of, of um, legalities I was ruled by one judge in Riverside County uh, in 2010 that I was found to be compliant of all California laws, and my case was to be dismissed, and all my property was to be returned, and it was. And five weeks later, I was raided and charged with a whole bunch of other things. And five years later, that case was dismissed. And five years later, the feds have finished their statute of limits. But at the end of the day, I've kept doing what I'm doing because it's the right thing to do. I believe in what I do, and it bothers me a lot that now that uh, so many people believe that we are okay, we're legal, it's over. Um, I get people approach me on business ventures and, and, and proposed partnerships and every kind of thing every single day. And yet none of those people want to help finish the job. I got people who call themselves activists, and they got some side venture going on, and that's all they spend their time on now. And I'm still looking to finish the job, and I'm looking for people that realize that until we create a world where you can't get locked up for this plant, no matter what. You just can't because it's not a crime anymore. And until we do that, there's still going to be Craig Cecil's out there. There's still going to be, be people that are victimized by a bad system. There's going to be still laws in place that should be broken. And we've talked about that endlessly. I know so many people that have been put in a spot where they have to make a decision between following the law And saving the life of a loved one. And plenty of them get stuck. And they end up moving. They pack up and move because they're not willing to break the goddamn law. My heart. Because I know what hardships people have gone through packing up their whole families and moving to a place where they feel safe. And even in those places, people are getting locked up. And people are ratting on each other because you didn't sign this paper and you didn't pay this fee and blip, 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 whatever it is. Why don't we end prohibition? Why don't we repeal the Controlled Substances Act or revise it? It would just be that easy make it not illegal anymore yeah i know all the money that we could make there's lots of ways to make money folks all right we're going to get on to yvonne we're going to just jump right back in and continue our conversation yvonne i apologize for taking so long to get to you but i can assure you we will have all the time we need to complete this conversation and uh, how are you doing today
0: Oh, I was listening. It didn't seem like it was on oh, at all. Gotta... It was a very interesting conversation. It just, it you know what? My, I have my speaker my... Is
3: sounding
2: really low. Hang on a second. I'm
3: gonna
2: try. Uh, uh uh. There we go. All right. I have my sec. My other phone <laughs> is working. The speaker didn't work on the other one. All right, we're good. So yeah, <laughs> we um, we 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 have a lot of interesting conversations on the show and. You know, it just it drives me nuts because people uh, people really just don't get it. They just don't get it. They they think that a law got passed in your state and um, everything's good. And so, in those states where these laws get passed, people are still getting locked up. Um, what happens is 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 as I've talked about in California, especially. But I know it's happened in, in Colorado and Washington and, and, you know, the handful of, of stores, and I'll just call them what they are. They're stores that, uh, you know, jump through the legal hoops and they get their paperwork legit. They go and they rat on all the people that didn't. And at the end of the day, and this is my biggest beef, this is really what it all boils down to, people that need cannabis medicine oftentimes are on fixed income. And they can't afford the prices that these licensed places charge. And so we don't have an answer. All all of the, you know, tax and regulate stuff, it literally removes from the equation most of the people that need the medicine the most.
0: My solution is uh, is do what you need to do anyway. Keep your head down. Don't get caught because you're not a criminal until they catch you.
2: Oh I couldn't agree more i um I, I have walked walked both sides of the fence for a long time and uh, just you know I, I think that there's there's two parts to that though that's the first part is break the bad laws because they're bad laws but the second part is you know we have the power we're the jurors okay they're, 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 we don't have paid well we have paid jurors, but we don't have people that get to. Select who gets to be a juror, and if we educate people about their right and their power to nullify a bad law when they see it and when they hear it and when they see it, a law is unjust or immoral, they have a right and an obligation to to vote not guilty if somebody's being charged with a crime. And if we could educate oh. people to that, you know, I I think that, and at the same time, if we could get People to have the courage That if they get busted Of course we don't want you to get busted And certainly don't go out of your way to get busted But if it happens stand (laughs) up and fight You know stand up and fight because you don't have a chance To win unless you do And then we got to teach the people that. Go ahead
0: One of our Tennessee um, Very strong activists Here in Tennessee uh, Melanie Cashin She stood up and fought them it wasn't you know a huge huge charge she only had you know just a few grams but in tennessee a few grams and a pipe or roach clip or anything that be paraphernalia is gonna wind you in a big bunch of fines or in a federal prison but she ended up she fought it and um She beat her case, and a good thing that activists can do, and it's what we try to do in Tennessee, is if you know somebody's going to be in court, do everything you can do to get you a, not a cheering section. They'll throw you all out, but have a big presence in support, you know, whoever is in court fighting, and that's something else that we've been um, trying to do in Tennessee. Well, you know uh, so Tennessee's not even, gonna get anything until it's federal. I mean that that's just that's just how it is. We had a really incredibly weak, very limited medical cannabis bill and it didn't even pass the the full committee. So and we don't we're not a ballot initiative state. So you know it's it's people especially in states like us who do you know don't have a ballot initiative we i mean it is our lawmakers it's our legislators who make these laws, but these stupid people keep voting in the same legislators who are prohibitionists and I've got to lately now. I'll just tell them, you know, well, you knew how this politician stood on cannabis before you voted for him selection, and you know, cannabis may or may not be your prime issue that you look at. But if it's not your prime issue, and you elect the prohibitionists anyway, and you vote against your cannabis interest, don't complain because you voted them in, and you knew what the You know, you don't pick up a snake. You see a snake on the ground, you know it's liable to bite you. Don't pick it up. But people do when they vote.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, I have a congressman that's been seated since I've lived out here over 20 years, and uh, he's horrible. And uh, every election cycle, I see his times go up, and I see – a couple of people, you know, run against him,
0: and every year
2: they keep getting, they keep voting him back in. And uh, he's not a friend of ours on any level. And uh, I just, I just, it's endlessly frustrating, uh, you know, to see the lack of attention people spend when they, when they cast their ballots. The other thing is judges. People, many judges seats are elected, and we keep voting these. Judges, without knowing anything about their uh, their record and, and and the things that they, you know, judges legislate from the bench, whether you believe it or not, whether yep. you like it or not, they do. And there are judges that are lenient on nonviolent drug crimes, and there's judges that are, you know, mandatory every time on nonviolent drug crimes, and, and it goes on from there. But you watch the same judges, the incumbents always win. You get in once, generally you're appointed in, and then you just stay in. Very seldom is a judge ever unseated, once in a great while. Well, I want to talk about your campaign, because last year you ran for governor of Tennessee, and that's really an amazing feat. Um, you know, based on, on your experience and, uh, you know, your life experience going into this um, with Are are you legally blind at this time? I know we. we
0: I am totally blind, and I lost all of my sight when I was 29, and then in 2005, I had to have both of my eyes removed because of they were deteriorating, and I had to be on that oh horrible horrible fentanyl patch. Because that's the only thing that would touch my pain. Um, And I couldn't smoke at the time because I just graduated college and I knew I was going to probably be drug tested to, you know, get a job. And I, you know, I thought, you know, at the time I would be fine, but that sentinel, that was the, that's the worst thing. That's one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. I still... I'm sitting here, my heart's sitting here racing now, just thinking about just how horrible it was. And then I ended up getting a job after I'd gone through the withdrawals and stepped myself down with my doctor's help. I got lucky. I had a doctor. We knew going into taking the sentinel. I was going to have problems. But we also knew that working together, a good doctor-patient relationship, and she let me help my own, you know, step-down process on it. But then after I got my job, uh, it was at university hosting a radio show. And I asked the president of the university, I said, so are you going to drug test me? And he's like, no. And I'm like, wow, I wish I would known about this before. I was wow, taking all man. that fentanyl and everything.
3: <laughs> wow.
0: But... Running for governor, I actually, I took a page out of Jack Hearer's book, and my entire campaign was solely cannabis. You talk about economics, I'd talk about cannabis. You talk about crime, I would talk about cannabis. You ask a question about health, I would talk about cannabis. In one of the um, forums I attended... The question was, what do you see as our three worst problems in Tennessee? I said, well, you know what, let's just change that around a bit. Let's don't talk about what the problems are. Let's talk about this one solution that could make a lot of headway and open a lot of roads into these issues like economics and health, education, social, civil justice, you know. The entire everything could possibly come down to cannabis from the ground. And out, how literally? How
2: you, when, when you uh, were having these conversations, how, how did you feel that the community received you?
0: Oh, community received it very well. In Tennessee, we had. Unofficial polls done by our local, all of our, you know, local TV stations, but we've also had two scientific polls done through Vanderbilt University and then another Middle Tennessee State University that polled a good 80%, and now it's even higher, who would approve and would want medical cannabis. And uh, legal cannabis, cannabis for adult use, they called it recreational. I avoid that. I just like the term adult use, um, was at least 60% in these scientific polls. And these legislators are not listening to their constituents. They're listening to our law enforcement. That's our biggest yeah, component in sure. 10
2: so
0: what was um, what was your uh, your opposition like? Well, I really didn't have a lot of opposition. Being an independent candidate, uh, we had an interesting gubernatorial election last year. We had a Republican twenty-seven independent candidates.
2: <laughs> wow!
0: Because they were saying the election commission and. Uh, The Secretary of State was saying, well, if y'all run all of the – if y'all run independents, that's just going to be more – make a more difficult ballot. So we just wanted to show them how difficult it was since they kept denying third parties ballot access in Tennessee. So we – had we ran 27 – there were 27 independent candidates, and there was a group of us that ran – kind of together, and we, you know, helped each other out, and we called ourselves the Tennessee 20. And, but my political aspirations started farther back than that. They started back in strongly around 2013, when I got heavily involved with uh, cannabis activism work, And I knew we needed somebody at some level, whether we knew I wasn't going to win governor. Let's just, you know, call it like it is. But I set out to make a statement. I set out to put cannabis into the political conversation in a big way.
3: And
2: that's a a noble... uh... It's a noble act. I think that one of the things that troubles me a lot is that our actual contending uh, candidates don't ever share their opinion about this. They always sidestep it and it. And every time, you know, it even gets brought up, generally they don't even let it get brought up. But that discussion just really doesn't happen, you know, um with congress with the uh, governors elections with uh and especially not the president but i mean it you would expect this is a a pretty substantial issue they say more than 60% of americans have some opinion about this um that's favorable to some or another and yet when was the last time you saw in a mainstream um you know, debate, discussion, town hall meeting or or whatever that a a contending candidate really lays down his opinions about this.
0: Well, in the primaries in twenty sixteen, during the primaries, any time they would ask a question and Bernie Sanders would start to speak, I'm like, say it, say it, just say cannabis. Say the word. Just say it one time, <laughs> and he even avoided it. Yep. I mean, he mentioned it a couple times, but there were so many missed opportunities.
2: Barely. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think that that's uh, that's part of the problem. And I think that I think that we as as the people need to be a little more. I don't know. We certainly need to be a little bit more clear about what we want. I think we also need to be a little bit more um, creative. We have all of these media outlets and media um, uh, platforms to work from, and I I think that the political landscape is starting to, but really needs to change. You know, you got a president that's living on Twitter for God's sake. You know, I mean, we have we
3: have. And that's uh, here.
0: People. Here's Say something, again? all of you, all of the listeners, here's something you can do. Okay. Trump, President Trump, he loves Twitter. We all know this. So, let's use that. Have everybody, you know how you can do the uh, at, you know, the real Donald Trump or whatever his name is on Twitter and make a statement. Say something to the effect of, hey, if Cannabis were federally legal Now If you would do something With you know Your cabinets And get cannabis legal Before the primary debates begin Then you will take Cannabis off of the table For the Democrats Because the Democrats Are already showing They are going to uh, Cannabis is going to be One of the bigger topics uh, in the debates in 2020 than it has been in the past. And the Trump administration, if they were really smart, they could take it off the table for the Democrats just by either a nationwide decriminalization effort or a nationwide legalization. Take it off the table. Or get the stupid... um, Get it out of schedule one, you know, anything, anything positive that this administration could do in the near future. I, I hate to say it, but it it would help them because it would, like I said, take it off the table for the Democrats.
2: Oh, I totally agree. Well, listen, what do you think? I mean, think, that's
0: um, strategy. <laughs> I agree.
2: I totally agree. You know, but that would that would involve some common sense, and there doesn't seem to be much of that anywhere in politics. Um, So tell me, Yvonne, um, where are you at now? What's your what's your next move? What are you thinking about? You know, let's just take you to the place where um, you're you're creating your your future. What does it look like? What are you planning on doing next?
0: I think in Tennessee, what I would like to do next is work uh, to create a CANAPAC, a cannabis-centered uh, political action committee, because you can have candidates all day say, okay, you know, get me elected, help me get elected, and and I will do what I can do to forward cannabis legalization, blah, blah, blah. But what a PAC would do, if you as a PAC give money to a candidate, um, people listen to that. If you give money to a candidate and they win and they do not fulfill their promise to this PAC, then you have the option of saying, well, look at this. We gave you money and look what you did. And people, the general public, will pick up on that. And then the chances of this candidate winning re-election is slimmer than it was. And plus, you know, if you work as a whole together, if the entire Tennessee cannabis community would work together, maybe we could get some better voices in our legislature. But I think federal's where a lot of focus needs, to in Tennessee especially, we need to, the activists need to just say, screw you, Tennessee General Assembly, I'm going to work on federal legislation. I mean, it's just, they've got Tennesseans begging for crumbs and kissing ass here, and... With the limited Republican I call it the low um, Limited condition Low THC Oil only Political cannabis bill That's all we've had
2: Yeah that's, that's In my and opinion what we
0: call a work CBD store today And the oils and the tinctures And everything the non-smokable Stuff's expensive
2: Yep, true. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, that's the price of of prohibition. You know, the people that are out there trying to make it, um, you know, they're facing huge risks, even though, you know, with CBD that supposedly you don't have the same risk. But I had a package seized in Canada just the other day, and the Canadian government took it and sent me back a letter saying, sorry. Uh, we're keeping it, you can't have it back. And I also know of CBD shops that have been raided. You've got DEA or FDA, sorry, um, threatening all kinds of things. And then at the end of the day, you've got Carl Jr. getting ready to put out a CBD burger in right. Colorado. Right. So it's just a whole bunch of, of uh, mixed-up, nonsensical things happening all at once. And the one thing that would make sense of it is if we all just said, you know what, enough's enough, and we just need to end this. And, you know, um, that's where I stand, and I don't know if you know, but when you were talking about uh, bringing people together in court, the Human Solution International, my, the organization that I'm CEO of and that this show is based on, um, that's a big part of what we do. Court support is uh, uh, we teach people how to do it. We have, we have guidelines. We have solidarity ribbons that we make for everybody to wear. We have really a whole plan on how to uh, show support, how to do a, a, a civil protest, how to rally if you need to, um, and not not do damage to the defendant, but rather be supportive. I went through a case that mm-hmm. lasted six years, and if it wasn't for the supporters in my trial, I'd probably just, to, just be getting out of prison right now. And uh, instead, I'm a free man, and, and I have no criminal record in no small part because of all the supporters. So I would absolutely want to welcome you to participate with the work that we're doing. I would love to uh, engage uh, some of the stuff. Now, we're a 501C3, so we couldn't directly be part of a PAC, but um, I do think that that's a good idea. Um, And so to further that conversation, do you have um, a, a plan laid out to set this PAC up, or what's your thoughts on that?
0: No, we're just now, like, getting people interested enough to get a small group together to get this actually started. A friend of mine and I, we've both, um, he's been on the two different uh, board of directors with me um, for cannabis reform, and it's something that he and I have been trying to work on, and... Now, I think, is more than time to we're going to we're going to give it a one really hard push and see if we can't really get something like this um, started. We have a really strong um, in Tennessee, it's gaining ground A really good libertarian parties here in Tennessee and cannabis um, legalization. Or, you know, all things cannabis is at the forefront of what um, the Tennessee Libertarian Party hopes to see happen in Tennessee, that along with, again, I stress again, fair ballot access has a lot to do with it. Because the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, we've been all about cannabis legalization since both parties have formed. We don't sit here, well we're for medical, but we've got questions about recreational blah 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 blah. Freaking blah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that uh you know I could take an argument on anything and say that all use is medical if that's your point of view. But it it is I do
0: think medical
2: this freedom issue and it's really not about any of that. It's about this is a, a, a plant, a substance that has never killed anybody, and how dare the government think that it had the right to tell us that we can't have it. And that's all. It really shouldn't be
0: more than that. And they're and that's going where, on you know, all, of the, all of the propaganda from Harry Enslinger, may he not rest in peace. I'm sorry, but that man that man's a horrible criminal. Horrible, horrible man um, And and they're still banking on, on All the things that were like Reaper madness That's what the legislators And our law enforcement And the FDA are trying to convince people And it's not harmful It was not based on science Prohibition had nothing to do with science And I called out uh, the legislators last year. I sent all of them emails, and I referenced Harry Anslinger, and one of his statements was, it will make darkies think they're as good as we are. It'll make our white women want to have sex with, and then it named off a whole list of minorities and entertainers. And I'm like, So? You think darkies think they're going to be as good as everybody else if you legalize? Is this where you think?
2: (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Well, listen, I do definitely want to extend my hand in cooperation. And, um, you know, I, I would like to maybe, uh, find some way that we can work together. My organization has a few. Give
0: me a call one day this week.
2: (laughs) I will. Absolutely. And we have a, um, a, a twice a week conference call that the executive team um, has, and we bring in other people sometimes. So I'm going to give you a call probably tomorrow, and we'll we'll set up maybe to call in Tuesday. Uh, we do a call it at, at noon Pacific time, so it'd be I don't know, are you Eastern time or or, or central? I'm on Eastern. Okay, so it'd be three I'm o'clock uh, Tuesday. Are you good with that three o'clock Tuesday?
0: Yeah.
2: Excellent. Just, I'll call um, you up tomorrow, and call and me
0: um, tomorrow. I'll, I'll give you. Yeah. All right. I'm just kidding. It's been great talking to you again.
3: Well, I, I very
2: much appreciate it, and I, I really, you know, we have a chapter sort of in in Tennessee. It's actually a a four state chapter called Southern Style, and it covers uh, a Tennessee, Georgia. Uh, North Carolina, and South Carolina, and um, we've had, you know, some activity over the years, but, uh, you know, in the last few years, it's been kind of quiet, so it's, it's hard. It's been in my experience, it's been difficult to get people to stand together. You know, we worked together with Peachtree Normal and uh, Sharon Raybert and some of the other folks over there. We've, we've, we absolutely have worked with them and would continue to. Um, we consider them to be, you know, allies in the field.
0: Um, oh, you probably know but Kim I really, Smith then.
2: <laughs> yeah, Kim Smith is actually was my chapter coordinator for the Southern Style. Kim chapter. came
0: from Tennessee. So, absolutely. Very well, I, proud I, I of I know, the work she's done.
2: Yeah, Kim's great. And I, I met her um, at the Netroots Nation uh, conference a couple years ago. Um, her and Sharon and uh, some of the other folks from the, from the Peachtree Normal. So you know, there's a there's a bunch of people that are that are out there trying to do stuff. I just think that if if we put our heads together, we could come up with one unified plan and get enough people together. And and we have support from you know all around the country through our organization that we could bring to bear and and help shed light on this. So I absolutely will reach out to you tomorrow and. Um, you know, let's let's keep this thing going.
0: And everybody has a happy four twenty weekend.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Yvonne Yvonne Forsyth. And um, I I expect that uh, we'll be we'll be hearing more from her. And I can see an alliance uh, getting ready to form. So thank you so much, Yvonne. You have a fantastic evening. We'll talk tomorrow.
0: You too, Joe. Thank you.
2: All righty. Alright, so we got Tom Corby To wrap up the show today And uh, let's see what Tom Has to say. Tom Corby, welcome to the show How are you doing today?
4: Oh, I want to thank you, Joe Lisa, Becca Always married And all those Great speakers today for another Historical show And believe me, folks, these are historical Shows I really feel we have the Momentum to find the prohibition. Let's just hope these politicians get the get the message. Uh, Donna and I want to thank you all again. Frank and Ann here without him. Uh, Donna had a relapse, went back to hospital uh, for a heart. Uh, they got her on heart meds. She's doing really good now. they $500 a month. Come on, farm. Uh, it's exorbitant. So we're working straight to get uh, Cal Med and maybe... Get the price down on these, meetings. and uh, for everybody's sake. Uh, and of course, we're taking your products, Joe. We want to thank you. The oils, helping so much. John is back home, and uh, doing pretty good. She's improving daily. And uh, good, good. I'm I wanna, that. Yeah, want to thank you all again for everything.
3: Um, Alright, Well, you <laughs>
2: uh, right, no, I said you hang tough, and I heard uh, I heard Donna's back, and I uh, man, we gotta we gotta get her on the other side of this mess.
4: Well, yeah, yeah. If you want to stay friends today, if you. Think Hi, everybody, on the Top Party Radio Show. don't that the reason we talk watched watching. Uh, we're not we we are men of brevity is because we've backed them down in Butte County in Northern California. And this is the <laughs> precedents we So you can use these precedents of these other cases, case case laws uh with your case. And always always get your discovery. And uh, so that nine nine five Dismissed probable cause motion I like to put that all in on one motion, this is all no probably cause almost happening every time. Okay, I want to thank everybody today and all those coming together, joining, uh, volunteering to be this solution, to find the end provision. For all our POWs. no one should go to jail for our plant. Thank you all today. Bring Willie in.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much, Tom. And next week, I believe we're going to have a guest who's going to tell us why this plant needs to be regulated. And uh, he was supposed to come on last week, or not last week, uh, Several months ago, and he somehow didn't make it, but apparently he's going to this time. So, uh, tune in next week where uh, I get to finally talk to somebody who thinks that this plant needs to be regulated. All right, till then, let's see what Willie has
4: to say. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a
3: plant. Have said done. You were always on my.